I realize it's been a while since I have opened my sermon with a little humor. You say, wait a minute. <laughs> what do you call that last week? <laughs> anyway, I got a few funnies here. At least I think they're funny. And uh, those of you who know my appreciation of humor probably won't like any of these. So that's okay. But I saw these. You've probably heard some of these. These, these kind of, you know, get circulated around. I, I, I may have even shared them before, but, you know, who doesn't like a good joke? All right. What kind of man was Boaz before he married? He was ruthless. See what I did there? Oh, man, I love these kind of jokes. What do they call pastors in Germany? German shepherds. Hey, who was the greatest, uh, I guess you would pronounce it, see, this is, I'm showing my ignorance here, financier in the Bible? Noah. He was floating his stock while everyone else was in liquidation. Ooh, okay. What about the, uh, the who, who was, our, who was the, yeah, the greatest female financier in the Bible? Pharaoh's daughter. She went down to the bank of the Nile and drew out a little profit. Man, that's a good one. I like that one. That's excellent. Okay, what kind of motor vehicles are in the Bible? Well, think about it. Jehovah drove Adam and Eve out of the garden in a fury. Uh, David's triumph was heard throughout the land. Tri- Some of y'all are going to think about these later. Also, probably a Honda because the apostles were all in one accord. We've heard that one. How about who was the greatest comedian in the Bible? Greatest comedian in the Bible. Samson, he brought the house down. Come on. Work with me, people. (laughs) What excuse did Adam give to his children as to why he no longer lived in Eden? Your mother ate us out of the house and home. <laughs> Woo! Man, that's good stuff. Uh, don't worry. Hey, I ain't done. I got about three or four more. All right. Which servant of God was the most flagrant lawbreaker in the Bible? Moses. He broke all Ten Commandments at once. Which are uh, palace? What? Which are palace? I didn't get this right. Which are of, that doesn't make any sense. All right, we'll see see if I can clear it up here. I'll skip over. Who is the greatest babysitter mentioned in the Bible? David. He rocked Goliath to a very deep sleep. Just saying, you know. Um, All right, which of the uh, Palestinians was especially wealthy? Or which area of Palestine? That's what it is. Which area of Palestine was especially wealthy? The area around Jordan. The banks were always overflowing. Yeah, I probably should have just stayed off of that one, right? All right, last one. I'm done. No clapping, please. Which Bible character has no parents? Joshua, son of Nun. I'm here all week, folks. Here all week. Anyway, hey, I, uh, you know, if you got a good joke, send it to me. I know some of you do that. I, I pre- Carolyn, you're good about sending me those some good ones too. You ain't sent me any in a while. I need a few. All right, y'all, y'all. Uh, thank you. 
<laughs> now on to important things, right? Take your Bibles, let's go. Nehemiah, Nehemiah. And uh, we're in Nehemiah chapter 10. See if I can find my clicker. Is my clicker hiding back there? Is it clicking? You may want to test run it though first just to make sure. Oh yeah, look at that, it worked. And it go backwards, backwards and forward, forwards and back. Excellent. All right. Woohoo, we're cooking with oil. Nehemiah chapter 10. We're actually going to back up to, to Nehemiah 9 because where we ended last week is really the best place to pick up before you go into chapter 10. Thank you, sir. You are a gentleman and a scholar. And he's a madman on a slip and slide, let me just tell you. All righty. Nehemiah chapter 9. And uh, let's take a look, if you would, please, with me. In, yeah, it worked back there, now it doesn't work. Okay, I see what kind of pranks y'all are pulling. Hey, Elijah, if you don't mind, buddy, you may have to manually help me operate this one. I'm going to point at you, you just click that, that little puppy and, and we'll go ahead. Alright, so Nehemiah chapter 9, and if you'll notice in the last verse, verse 38. And because of all this, we make a sure covenant and write it. Our leaders, our Levites, and our priests seal it. Chapter 10. Nehemiah, the governor, the son of Hakaliah and Zedekiah, and then we start a long list of names that I am not going to make you go through this morning with me. But what I would like for you to do is go to the end of that list in verse 28. We'll pick up. Verse 28, now the rest of the people, the priests, the Levites, the gatekeepers, the singers, the Nethanim, and all those who had separated themselves from the peoples of the land to the law of God, their wives, their sons, and their daughters, everyone who had knowledge and understanding, these joined with them, joined with their, their brethren, their nobles, and entered into a curse and an oath to walk in God's law, which was given by Moses, the servant of God, and to observe and do all the commandments of the Lord, our Lord, and His ordinances and His statutes. We would not give our daughters as wives to the peoples of the land, nor take their daughters for our sons. If the peoples of the land brought wares or any grain to sell on the Sabbath day, we would not buy it from them on the Sabbath or on a holy day. And we would forego the seventh year's produce and the exacting of every debt. Also, we made ordinances for ourselves to exact from ourselves yearly one-third of a shekel for the service of the house of our God for the showbread, for the regular grain offering, for the regular burnt offering of the Sabbath, the new moons and the set feasts for the holy things, for the sin offerings to make atonement for Israel and all the work of the house of our God. We cast lots among the priests, the Levites and the people for bringing the wood offering into the house of our God according to our fathers' houses at the appointed times years by year to burn on the altar of the Lord our God as it is written in the law. And we made ordinances to bring the first fruits of our ground and the first fruits of all fruit 
of all trees year by year to the house of the Lord, to bring the firstborn of our sons and our cattle, as it is written in the law, and the firstborn of our herds and our flocks to the house of our God, to the priests who minister in the house of our God, to bring the first fruits of our dough, our offerings, the fruit from all kinds of trees, the new wine and oil, to the priests, to the storerooms of the house of our God, and to bring the tithes of our land to the Levites, for the Levites should receive the tithes in all our farming communities. And the priests, the descendants of Aaron, shall be with the Levites when the Levites receive tithes. And the Levites shall bring up a tenth of the tithes to the house of our God, to the rooms of the storehouse. For the children of Israel and the children of Levi shall bring the offering of the grain of the new wine and the oil to the storerooms where the articles of the sanctuary are, where the priests who minister and the gatekeepers and the singers are, and we will not neglect the house of our God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, uh, I pray that you will give me clarity of thought today. I pray that you will help, Lord, with the words that I speak, that they will bring glory to your name, uh, that my words will honor you as I proclaim the truth of your word. Help me to do so in your power. Help me to do so in your strength. I pray for us as listeners that uh, we will have ears to hear, that we will receive uh, what it is that you would teach us this morning through the Holy Spirit. And so, Lord, draw us near to you. And Lord, as we draw near to you, we know that you will draw near to us. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. For it's in his name we pray. Amen. Okay, so I think I, right, I got to go backwards with this thing. That's what it is. Let's take a look at what's happening here in this text. Now, you know, we've seen the Israelites. They're back in the land. Um, they have began to experience a bit of revival. We see this in, in Nehemiah 8, Nehemiah 9. And so now, what has happened is, the people have been broken. They've rediscovered the law. They spent all day having the word read to them. Ezra the priest stood and and has read, they had the Levites there, remember they began to break it down, they had small group sessions, and they explained the Word of God to them. And the result of that was great conviction upon the people of God, to the point that they were in deep mourning, they were repentant, a revival broke out, we've, we've looked at biblical revival through the Scriptures, and so now you, you see they've come back uh, some number of days later, They've gathered back in. You see another sense of renewal beginning to take place. And so that is what has preceded, and that is why they've come to this point in time where they have said, we need to enter into a covenant with God. We know that we were in Babylonian captivity. We know that we were in Assyrian captivity. And we recognize that the Persian king oversees us even now. And, and if we do as we've done in the past, and that's why you got in chapter 9 all that historical account of what took place, 
How they left God, how God brought judgment, but God brought mercy. And so they are recognizing again, we are experiencing the goodness of God. We're back in the land. The temple's been rebuilt. The wall has been completed in an amazing 52 days. And so now, we don't want to go back and do things like we've done before. And it's gotten so real that people have literally put away their pagan wives because they have returned to God. And so there's this renewal that's taking place in the land. And so they want to make it official. They want to sign the dotted line. They want to enter into the covenant with God to know, by God's grace, we're not going to cross those lines again. And so that's what we see happening here in chapter 10. Their faith is being appropriated. Guys, do you realize it's not enough to have a said faith all right? We need a possessing faith. We need to be able to live out what we claim we know. We need to live out what we claim we believe. And if it's not real in your everyday life, then I pray that today this message will challenge us to look at where we are before a holy God and that we might repent, we might experience revival, personal revival so that we can be renewed. And so that's what I want us to look at today. And so this, this covenant that they've entered in with God, uh, uh, these are some things that you'll find here in, in, chapter, in chapter 9 through 10. And so I just kind of, if you're taking notes, here's your outline for today. The people entering the covenant, we're going to look at them first. They're in Nehemiah 9.38 through 10, 20, uh, 10, 28. Then you'll see the pledge of the covenant in Nehemiah 10.29. And then we're going to look at the particulars of the covenant. So this is sort of a breakdown outline of what's taking place here in today's text. And so we'll kind of unpack this as we go. So with that said, let's, let's continue on. Let's take a look uh, at the people entering the covenant. Now it starts off, and here you see a good leader being a good leader. Nehemiah, the governor, was one of the first ones to step up to sign this covenant, to sign this pledge. You see Nehemiah, the governor... You also see throughout this list, you're going to see the priests, their, their name there. You're also going to see, as you go through those list of names, the Levites. You're going to see their names there. By the way, to be a priest, you had to what? You had to be in what line? Whose line? Say again? Okay, but specifically who? who do you, whose, whose line did you specifically have to be in to be a priest? Yes, they had to be Levites. Somebody just said it. Aaron. In order to be a priest, you had to be of the lineage of Aaron. All priests were Levites. Yes. They did the, the, the sacrifice offerings. But the Levites, in the, obviously in the lineage of Levi, but not all Levites were priests. Okay? That makes sense? All priests were in the line of Levi, but they were lineage of Aaron. All Levites, obviously in the, in the line of Levi, but not all Levites were priests. Now they would function, the Levites were very important to function in the tabernacle, right? They kind of, think of it this way, they were the, they were the roadies. Now, that's probably not a fair, but they helped break it down, set it up. They were, they, they were responsible for the function, the functionality, the showbread. You're going to see this spelled out here. So a lot of the things that were taking place 
the Levites were key in that day-to-day operation. But it was the priests who were the ones who were allowed to do the sacrifices. Okay? And they must be from the line of Aaron. So, you also see here in this list of names, you're going to see the chiefs of the nations. All right? And then it's interesting, uh, uh, this is kind of the way I, I speak, the rest of the people. All those other guys. Now, obviously, you got a lot of people back in the land. So what's happening here when you see through this name, these names listed here, think of it this way. These are heads. These are representatives. So let's just assume, by, by way of you know, understanding, let's just assume that North Carolina was going to have some type of covenant agreement, make some kind of uh, uh, deal, and they, they called for all the towns to sign on board, all the families um, and so uh, Mayor Gurley is a representative of LaGrange, representing all of our families, went forward and signed the pledge. Okay, That's what we've got going on here in this text. So when you see a lot of these names, think of them as heads of households, representing they're, they're the priests, they're the Levites, they're the chiefs of the nations. And then you had the rest of the people, which included, and this is interesting too when you look through this text, you're going to see, remember we talked about those of understanding, and, and there's indication there that not only was there perhaps those in the day when they were reading children in their midst, but this is specifically referencing, I believe, the pagans who had come on board. These were proselytes. These were people who were saying, you know what, I'm leaving my pagan God because I want to follow the true and living God. And so those people are also represented And so, this is the people entering the covenant with God. Now, what about, uh, what do we see next? We see the the pledge, or we may not see it, there it is, the pledge of the covenant. Notice down in verse 29. These joined with their brethren, their nobles, and entered into a curse and an oath to walk in God's law which was given by Moses, the servant of God, and to observe and do all the commandments of the Lord our God and His ordinances and His statutes. What about this little phrase, entered into a curse and an oath to walk in God's law? Well, um, many of us, think about it, we, we've, we've kind of done a, this, this type of oath, um, I mean, you, you, you pledge yourself many times throughout your life to do certain things, right? And, uh, and, and without knowing it, you may say, well, if I don't, you know, if, if I don't fulfill that, there will be certain consequences. All right? You go to the bank. You sign up for an account. You sign, and you're saying, in essence, I will honor this contract, this account, and if I don't, this possible things can happen. Well, these people knew that... To walk in obedience with the Lord meant blessing in their day, but to turn their back and walk away from this contract, if you will, this covenant, if you will, because I don't want to call it a contract because it's not that. There's a difference, big difference. Um, Hence the reason marriage is not a contract marriage, it's a covenant marriage. Very important to know the difference. But these people, um, as far as um, they understood that what they were entering into was of great importance. 
Many of us today understand this. We probably didn't pray, God, curse me if I disobey you. But many of us have prayed, Lord, whatever it takes, whatever it takes, I want to follow you. Help me. Whatever it takes. If you've ever gotten to that point of honest prayer, that's a scary prayer, isn't it? You remember uh, the account, I read the story of the the young man who served in the military, was killed in Fallujah, and uh, had the privilege of ministering to his siblings and working with his mom and dad in the previous ministry. And and I'll never forget, Miss Beth used to come into my office and she'd say, you know, David's going to return to the Lord. I know he is. I know he, I know he knows the Lord. Uh, I, I, I know he knows the Lord, but he's, uh, he's straying from the Lord. And I have prayed, God, you do whatever it takes. You do whatever it takes to get him right with you. And she even said he loves rock climbing. She says, it won't surprise me if I get a phone call one day here that he's fallen off of a mountain and broken his back and, and that God's somehow allowed something like that to happen to get his attention. I guess she never dreamed that, as Scripture says, there is a sin unto death. Now, I don't know David's heart. Only God knows David's heart. I believe David knew the Lord. I really do. And he was taken at a young age. Again, only God knows the particulars. Only God knows the details. I'm just conveying to you what a mother said. We all understand this. We've prayed sometimes. If we've ever gotten to a point to where we're very real with God, Lord, if you want to take me to China, take me to China. If you want my kids to be missionaries, let them be missionaries. When you get to that point of realness with God, authenticity, that you understand God is sovereign over your life, and so you just let Him have control. That's where these people are in entering into this pledge. Whatever it takes, I want to be your man. This is essentially praying the same thing as these people were. That's what's happening here. So I want you to kind of understand that from a personalized perspective. While it may be helpful to make a vow or an oath to God today, remember this, we don't succeed as Christians because we make promises to God, but because we believe the promises of God and act upon them. Brian Beal. It's a good little saying there, isn't it? You recognize, guys, it's not based upon our faithfulness or our lack thereof. Because we'd all be in trouble. It's based upon the promises of God. God's the one who cut the covenant. By the way, that's the Hebrew term that when they would say it, it was the literal cutting a covenant. Not make a covenant, cutting a covenant which there's a difference in the word used in this text because it's only used one more time in Nehemiah, and the word used there in both situations is, is in essence, to pledge. Because you recognize we're only entering into, we can establish, God has established the covenant. good example of that is what happened with Abraham when he was asleep <laughs> and God was doing all the work. Y'all understand what I'm saying, right? You didn't do the work, guys. We were asleep, dead in our trespasses and sin. Christ did all the work. But He offers you a new covenant in His blood. 
We're going to see some parallels as we unpack this. But this is the pledge of the covenant. And so these people that entered into it, they knew what they were getting into. They knew what they were signing up for. And I just wonder, Christian, did you know what you were signing up for? When you said yes to Christ? When you said, I surrender my life, did you really mean that? When you, by faith, receive Christ, do you recognize that that meant death to self? Important thing to understand. What about the particulars of this covenant? Well, I'll tell you what, before I go there, let me go back for a second, because I, I want to uh, talk about this uh, again. The, um, notice here in this, look in verse 29, because there's a couple of words here I want, I want us to kind of focus on. Uh, notice if you would there, let me go backwards, there we go. But notice if you would there in verse 29, um, near the end, it says, They entered into a curse and oath to walk in God's law, which was given by Moses, the servant of God, and to observe and do all the commandments of our Lord, our Lord, in His ordinances, circle that one, and statutes, circle that one. Ordinances. They're agreeing to do his ordinances. Well, this word is the word mishpat. And it means to judge. What? Judge? Oh, well, preacher, as Christians, we're not supposed to judge. Judge not lest ye be judged. Guys, next time somebody throws it out of context... Ask them, how did they come to that judgment? We all judge. It's not a matter of not to judge. We must judge. The question is, are we judging rightly? And the only way you and I can judge rightly is based upon the Word of God. You make judgments every day. Look at your wardrobe this morning. Some of you made bad judgments. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. But you make, you make judgment calls, don't you? How much more important to make judgment calls on things that really matter? They are agreeing to, from now on, by God's grace, we're going to do right judgment based upon, thus saith the Lord. Think about it. Would they have entered into marriage with the pagan wives if they judged rightly? No. They didn't judge rightly. They judged subjectively. They judged based upon their own desires. That's what got them in this mess. Right? Working with youth. You guys have heard me say this many times. I don't care if your friend dated somebody who was unsaved and then they got saved. Missionary dating's not an option. God's already told us that. We're going to look at a little bit more of that type thing and understanding here in just a second about not being unequally yoked. I don't have to weigh that one. It's clear. The answer is no. Ding, 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 ding. We are correct. So, this word mishpat here, ordinances, it's an act of deciding a case. How are you going to decide how to live your life? How are you going to decide 
in the areas that you're trying to make important choices in your life. How are you going to make those decisions? Hopefully, by the grace of God, based on the Word of God, the principles of God, played out, lived out. So, here we see them dealing with the other statutes. This is the word hokey. I'm glad you weren't sitting there in the front row. You almost got hit. Hokey, right? And uh, it means a prescribed task. A prescribed task. And again, we're going to see this in later verses, how this plays out. So, we've seen the people entering the covenant. We've seen the pledge of the covenant. Now let's take a look at the particulars of the covenant. And you'll notice in verse 30, they begin to unpack this. We see here again, as we've seen in previous chapters, this understanding importance of separation. Separation to God. Anybody in here have exposure, and you're okay to admit it, <laughs> exposure to uh, uh, Catholic upbringing or background? There's a few of you, I know. Yeah, yeah, several of you here. You may understand this term differently because of traditionally how you were taught, but a saint. A saint, from a Catholic's perspective, is probably somebody who's already died. They've already had some verifiable miracles that have been supposedly uh, done and canonized, and therefore they're put forward at that point and approved as a saint. Okay. It's kind of, and I know that's sort of a broad stroke, but kind of along those lines, right? You're paying attention? Have a, yeah, okay. That's not biblically the definition for a saint. In fact, in the New Testament, we, born-again believers, Christians, all believers in Christ, are called saints. It's important to have biblical definition, right? Not traditional, not subjective, but biblical definition. It actually means separated one, holy one, set apart. We as Christians are set apart unto God. You are a saint. Now, some of you know, and I understand when, when I hear the phrase, and I'm trying to roll with the punches, because I've even said it before too, and sometimes I, I, but I will sometimes say, well, I'm a sinner saved by grace. I'm just an old sinner saved by grace. But guys... The problem with that statement is, it, biblically, you really aren't anymore. You're a saint. I'm not talking about New Orleans. Dustin's not here. so. Uh, but the Bible says, because of the righteousness of Christ, when God looks upon you, He doesn't see the sin. Yes, we still sin. I understand it. Yes, we still fall down. But guys, we are clothed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. His sacrifice on our behalf, His death, His burial, and His resurrection has purchased our redemption. We are a holy nation. The church of God has been set apart. We are a royal priesthood. You are saints. And we live out our faith a little better when we appropriate our identity. If I think I'm no good for nothing, I can't do anything right, I'm a loser, I can't do... I'm thankful you didn't amen that. 
And, and I just, if that's what I think of myself, if that's the way I understand myself to be, how am I going to live? Pretty much in line with my identity, right? But if I understand biblically who I am, and I just gave you a bunch of definitions, I'm a child of the king. This world's not my home. I'm a pilgrim. Do you understand, when I understand my identity through Scripture, it affects how I live. I will live differently because I know who I am. Too many Christians are living defeated lives because they don't know who they are in Christ. Guys, He overcome the world. Stronger is He that's in you than he that's in the world. Now, be careful. We don't, we don't, we don't allow this to puff us up. That's not the, the, the intent. In fact, when we understand who we are in Christ, we recognize I'm an, I am a nobody in the sense of I am dead to self. The Apostle Paul said, I've been crucified with Christ. No longer I who live, but Christ who lives within me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God. So it changes our approach. It changes our understanding. These people had come back from captivity. Seventy years of captivity in Babylon. They've watched the temple be rebuilt. They've had trouble from Sambal and Tobiah. They've had problem from within. They've just now finished the wall. They've, they've had the reading of God's Word prick their heart in such a way that they said, Woe is us. And they've fallen on their faces in repentance. And now there's this national revival that's beginning to take place in their hearts and in that, in this, in their land. And so they're feeling renewed in their, in their understanding. And that's why they make this pledge. That's why they say yes to God and His plan and purpose for their life. Verse 30, we begin to see these particulars. We would not give our daughters as wives to the peoples of the land, nor take their daughters for our sons. Guys, faith always works out in action. If if your faith in Christ is not affecting how you live and what you do, you need to examine yourself to see if you're in the faith. Or maybe you've kind of just grown apathetic or complacent. And, 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 and so you need a little stirring. But our faith should be lived out. We're not to be uh, unequally yoked, spiritually speaking. Scripture tells us that. 2 Corinthians 6.14 says, Do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers... For what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness? And what communion has light with darkness? If you're struggling with a relationship with somebody who's not a believer, you're not married to them, you're dating, guys, eh, get out of it. That's not, that's not an option, young person. But you know what? It transcends. Maybe, maybe there's business dealings. Maybe there's other practices that you're considering in, in partnering with someone who is a non-believer. These people of Israel, and by the way, we've looked at this last week, remember, they're given as our example. 
They're given as our example. You heard me tell you many times, if I run head first into this wall as hard as I can and hit it and say, wow, that really hurt, you would say, man, you're an idiot. That's dumb. Well, you wouldn't say that because you're a nice Christian folk. You'd think it, though. But you know what's even dumber than that? Is when I tell you, wow, don't do that, guys. That really hurts. And then you get up and do it. That's really dumb, right? But isn't that what we're doing when we look at the example of the Israelites and we see how they ran into, ouch, that hurt, and yet we end up repeating the same things in our life? God says in the New Testament, look, I've given you them as an example, guys. Live this out. Learn from them, which is good and bad, right? We learn in different ways. We all in our life have been shaped by both negative and positive examples. We, we both experience these things. But when we've got the very Word of God showing us what it looks like to be in right relationship with God and what it looks like to be, as God's people, erring in our judgment, straying in our ways, and then seeing the consequences that naturally follow... You realize God has established certain laws within the world that are going to have some consequences. Ask Murphy, right? Yeah. There's a, I heard an old preacher say there's, the, uh, the, there's a law called the depravity gravity. The depravity gravity. You can always rest assured if you try to get with somebody else, unequally yoked with somebody who's not a believer, they're going to always pull you down. I used to illustrate this in my youth group when I was a youth pastor, and I would put a chair there, and I'd have a, a, a real, you know, big guy kind of maybe stand on the chair and a, a little, a smaller person standing on the ground, and I would ask them to pull on each other, and I wanted the big guy to pull the person up onto the chair, and I wanted the little person to pull the big guy off the chair. And almost every time, big guy came down. Because guys, it doesn't take much when it comes to the depravity of man. Alright? We know that. We know that. You don't have to teach your children when they come out of the womb. They already know. They're good little sinners, right, from the start. That's why we want to get them saved, so to be saints. Alright. Don't be unequally yoked. And so these people here, they're seeing some of the past mistakes of their forefathers. That's why you got again in the previous chapter, going through the history of the Israelites. They're going through how they blew it and how God gave them grace. How they blew it and God gave them grace. And so here they are now saying, okay, we're going to, by the grace of God, we're signing this pledge, we're covenanting with God, we're not going to give our daughters to the pagans anymore. If the peoples of the land brought wares or, or any grain to sell on the Sabbath, we would not buy it from them on the Sabbath. Okay. So now they're saying they're going to remember the Sabbath to keep it holy. Now let's talk about this one for a second. All right, I can get the unequally yoke. I can understand that one. But this not selling and buying on the Sabbath... By the way, look what else he goes on and says. He also says that um, not buy it from them on the Sabbath or on a holy day, and we would forego the seventh year's produce and the exacting of every debt. You realize every seven years there was a, uh, this year of the Sabbath, 
and they were an um, agricultural society. And so God's law commanded them that on the seventh year, they're not to plant crops. They're to let the land rest. Of course, we know this is an example from the Scriptures in the beginning of time. God created in six days and He rested, right? On the seventh day. This was a practice that when they were in obedience to God, they would do these things. God would provide them enough in year six to cover them in year seven. Also, on the Sabbath year, they were supposed to forgive each other's debts. So if you were a brother and, and, and you owed me, you know, remember those two, two donkeys you gave me? Yeah. Well, um, uh, yeah, I, I never paid you for those, but it's the seventh year. <laughs> Got to forgive me. Now, and some of them did take that bad attitude, and that's not the way it's supposed to have happened. But at the end of the day, the seventh year, they were to be forgiven. They were to forgive each other's debts as brothers. So... They're saying here, as part of this agreement, we're, we're going to, again, we're going to do things right. Now, I don't know if you remember this or not, but there's a passage of Scripture in 2 Chronicles that speaks to Jeremiah's prophecy. And Jeremiah had prophesied that, um, well, let me read it to you. 2 Chronicles 36. If you want to turn there, you can. It's 2 Chronicles 36, 20 and 21. And those who escaped from the sword, he carried away to Babylon, where they became servants to him and his sons until the rule of the kingdom of Persia, to fulfill the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah. Until the land had enjoyed her Sabbaths, as long as she lay desolate, she kept Sabbath to fulfill 70 years. What does that mean? Well, here's what they understood. Because they had forsaken God's ordinances and His statutes, they were not letting the land rest. Jeremiah pronounced a judgment. That's why, and also, also part of Daniel's fulfillment, but, but also this is why they're in captivity in Babylon for as long as they were in. Because they had neglected God's commands. There were consequences. That's why you have 70 years of judgment. That's 10 Sabbath years. All right? So, think about that. Again, there are judgments that God has set in place. And when we choose to disobey God, uh, we need not be surprised when consequences often follow. But what is this really about, guys? What is this section about? Why are they, uh, you know, think about it for a second. If you were going to. Again, naturally thinking, you want me to let my farm rest for a year? Man, I can make a lot of money in a year. I can save up a lot of crops in a year. Who is that all about? You see, this is about trusting God for your provisions. 
Now, we understand Sabbath day is a Saturday. We worship now on the first day of the week. It's called the Lord's Day because this is the day Christ rose, right? Make sure you understand the difference. We're going to talk in our care groups tonight a little bit more about the difference in, in the Sabbath and the first day of the week, the Lord's Day. And why is it that of all the commandments, Ten Commandments, we talk about, you know, there's some good things there, right? Morally speaking, thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not steal. But why don't we practice the Sabbath day, remember and keep it holy, because the Sabbath is a Saturday, right? So why don't we practice that anymore? I'm going to let you all discuss that in your group tonight and some other things. But here's the point. I don't want you to miss the heart of what's being, what's being pledged here. What's the heart of being pledged here? It's about trusting God. I heard someone say, we refuse to rest. Hear this one. If you tuned out, you might want to tune back in. We refuse to rest because we think that we have, what we have to do is so important. We refuse to rest because we think that what we have to do is so, so important. You say, well, uh, preacher, now hold on a second. I got to work. I got to work on Sundays. I can't always be here and blah, blah, blah. And then listen, I, I'm not trying to... I realize sometimes you do what you got to do. But I also realize as your pastor, I want you to think about why you do the things you do. And let's just be real with God. It hurts and it makes me mad sometimes when preachers say things like what I'm saying. But I'm just asking you to be real with God. At the end of the day, isn't it really about trust? Isn't it really about, you know, is God going to meet my needs? Is God going to provide? The difference is in America, we got the confusion between needs and wants. That's the truth. Now, I'm going to stop because my intention is not to uh, put guilt on anyone. That's not why I'm doing this. We are in a text of Scripture that is dealing with God's people coming back to a place of understanding of how they had departed and now they were wanting to return. And I know, Carver, you know this. We've talked about this many times. Used to, there was a blue light law in this state, right? Y'all, some of y'all remember that, right? You couldn't do nothing on Sundays. You had to get gas in your car on Saturday. You had to, you had to get it done on Saturday because it, nothing was open on Sunday. So who changed, us or God? We said, well, that was a man-made rule anyway. Again, the, you know, again, I, look, I, I know, I know the arguments. I'm just asking us to do some honest reflection and then just do some honest obedience to what God says. And if God says, no, no, stay what you're doing, stay what you're doing. But I will say this, there better be a day in your week that you're setting apart to rest and enjoy God. Guys, I work today. I'm working today. <gasps> I'm working on Saturday. Oh, no, on Sunday it's the Lord's Day. But by God's grace, I'm going to rest tomorrow. But I'm still going to have two of y'all call me. Anyway, I was... <laughs> Again, man, there's so much, and I don't want to get on one of these soapboxes. Of, but think about... They are our example. 
And we saw where they got to where they got. And we saw what happened. And we look at our own nation. And we see what we used to do as a God-honoring nation. And now we see what we're doing today. And is it any wonder, guys? So, remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. Sabbath principle is a reminder trusting God and resting in God. Let me say this because I don't want you to miss this. Sabbath principle is a reminder trusting God and resting in God. And as far, it's far more important than us trying to self-sufficiently and, and, and do things productively on our own. So, so, so the point is... Um, Guys, I'm going to get a lot more accomplished if I stop doing and realize it's done. Matthew 6, 33, Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. These things will be added unto you. We clamor and scrap and scrape to try and get ahead. And, and who ends up suffering? Our families and our relationship with God. Guys, see through it. See through it. I'm going to tell you, you'll be a lot more at peace when God's at the center of your home, the center of your life. And that means tough decisions. It does. I understand that. It means doing without. It means things changing. I realize that. These people realize that. They gave up their wives and their children, man. You don't think that was tough? I'm sorry, Johnny. Daddy's not going to be seeing you no more. Your wife's, your your mama's a pagan. She's a heathen, Johnny. (laughs) I don't know it went down like that. Probably not. (laughs) But you know what? The reality is it happened. Now, I'm sure it probably went down more like, you know, a pleading of a husband who loved his wife and loved his kids and saying, please, you... This is the one true God. This is the only God. This is the loving God. This is the self-existing God. I'm begging you. I'm pleading you. Give Him your life. Surrender your heart to Him that you can know Him. He wants you to prosper. He wants you to, you know, I ain't got nothing. You done gone crazy. You done got religion. I mean, I'm out of here. Forget you. You crazy. And isn't that what it looks like sometimes even today? And many of you who, who are in a marriage where you know. I've had people sit in counseling sessions and and realize now on the other side, you know what? I never should have entered that marriage. I never should have gotten into this marriage because I knew they were an unbeliever. And now the encouragement is to live that chaste life before them in hopes that they will come to know Christ. So this idea of separation to God is not something we just want to gloss over and, and, and just say, well, that was for them. That's the Old Testament. We're not under the law. We're under grace. And that's kind of what we do, guys. But these are principles. This is the same God yesterday, today, and forevermore. He's the same holy God. And what's at the heart of these ordinances and statutes is at the very heart of His commands for us today. And He said, if you love me, Keep my commandments. Well, we also see in the particulars the dedication to the house of God. The dedication to the house of God. This was to ensure that the house of worship was maintained. Look at verse 32. We see, 
in the text. Also, we made ordinances uh, for ourselves to exact from ourselves yearly one-third of a shekel for the service of the house of our God. We see in verse 33, work in the house of God. You'll notice that it says, uh, for the showbread, for the regular grain offering, for the regular burnt offering of the Sabbaths, the new moons, and the set feasts, for the holy things, for the sun offerings, uh, for the sin offerings, um, to make atonement for Israel and all the work of the house of our God. The service in the house of God and the work in the house of God. The people understood the importance of the gathering place. And when you look through there, they all did their part. You see the one section where it talks about they cast lots? They, they even added this in. They said, okay, look, what we need to do, because somebody's got to keep wood coming in here. So, so let's all just, you know, it's kind of like mowing the yard. Remember how you used to do that when you had the sign-up sheet here at the church? I know you, before you've done the yard, you've done the cleaning of the church. We used to, each family would take a week, and, and that's what they're doing here. Okay, our family will take uh, next week, and we'll do all the wood cutting for next week. Y'all do realize that things that go on here don't just happen. I mean, <laughs> y'all have to help make it happen. I've often told folks, this church is only as good as its people. Now, obviously, we know ultimately it's the goodness of God, but God desires to work through His people. And if you make yourself available, He will work through you. If you use the spiritual gifts in which He's given you to help within the body of Christ, to edify the body, to build up the body, and to serve the community, you know what's going to happen at Community Baptist Church? Service and work. These people got right. And when you get right, you can't help but get going. I'm just saying. Some of you are saying, yeah, I wish you'd hurry up because I'm ready to get going to K&W. All right. Be patient. So they, they did two things basically here. Verses 32 through 34. I'm not going to read through there. You're going to look at this later tonight, hopefully. They, they agreed to give as the special need required. They gave one-third of a shekel tax for showbread, regular grain. We saw that. And also the, the wood. Uh, secondly, uh, we see that they agreed to give as God had commanded. The firstborn, the first fruits, and the tithe. So, no. Here we go. I knew we weren't going to go through here without somebody talking about giving money. Guys, I'm going to tell you like I told you earlier. It's in the text. I'm going to preach it, all right? This is where we're at today. So if it steps on your toes, you were meant to be here. Here's where we are. You know, the New, the New Testament speaks with great clarity on the principle of giving. Giving should be regular. Are you? Let me just stop right there. If you are not giving regularly, the New Testament says you, you should give regularly. The New Testament teaches us that, you should, that giving should be planned. It's not just a, well, let's see what i got in my pocket. You got, any, got a 10? I'll just drop that in the plate. It's planned. 
All right? Don't take my word for it. Read the word of God. It also says it should be proportional. Proportional. That means I know I make X amount a year, so I'm going to give a proportion of it. Now, it's also private, so let me say that. It's between you and God. What that proportion should be is between you and God. But these are biblical principles, guys, and I'm, I'm failing you as a pastor if I'm not teaching you these principles, if I'm not sharing this truth with you. And we did a survey recently, and I appreciate so much the honesty. It was, it was an anonymous survey, so I don't know who you were, even though I looked at your email address, and I know who you are. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Um, it was anonymous. They, they set it up. I can't know who's who. But I know this. I know this. We do have some who honestly said they rarely give. Okay, look, I'm not trying to make you feel bad. I'm just trying to, again, shepherd your heart and teach you biblically. You will never understand how awesome it is to trust God than when you trust Him in your finances. That's why that's almost always the last thing a believer lets go of, is his pocketbook. All right? Even in our own life, that was one of the last things we let go of. But I'm going to tell you, when we let go of it, we went from literally living paycheck to paycheck, falling behind, just struggling, no kids, two jobs, two incomes, no kids, struggling, to four kids, stay-at-home mom, though now she is working as secretary, um, full-time stay-at-home mom, and by God's grace, debt-free. We were $47,000 in debt. I made a household income of $20,000. Don't tell me it can't be done. You know how it's done? Matthew 6, 33. Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. Now, we have to make sacrifices, right? We just sold our van. I'm going to be riding the lawnmower to work. We already talked about it in the deacons meeting. But you know what, guys? I wouldn't trade any of it for the joy and peace that God's given us. These are things you have to wrestle through in your own life. I'm just simply sharing with you God's Word, how God's worked in our situation. He works differently in every situation. I realize that. I understand that. That's why it's personal. That's why it's private. You have to let each man rise and fall to his own master. I understand this. So don't feel... Too often times we as Christians, we want to cookie cutter it. And so we say, well, the Jones family did it, so let's do it. And then they do it for the wrong motivation, the wrong reasons, and then the world falls in, and there's trouble and problems, and they think, well, God just, maybe He's judging me. And guys, no. Use discernment. Use judgment. Be wise in it. Think it through. So, here we go. You know, Dave Ramsey talks about this. He says, uh, there's no such thing as a tithe of a tithe. Guess what? There is. There is, Scripture says, the tithe of the tithe. The Levites, notice what it says here, and uh, what's that, verse 37, and it says, to bring the first fruits of our dough, our offerings. By the way, it's the first fruits, guys. It's the first fruits. Old Testament example, it's always the first fruit. The first from the top. So if you're going to be proportional and you're going to plan in your giving, it should happen from the top, not with the scraps. Right? Why is that important? Because, again, it shows you trust God to meet the rest of the month. 
It shows that you trust God to provide what's needed. You're going to honor God first. That's what they did. They honored God with their first fruits. And so, um, uh, then you see that um, here they continue on. It says, to bring the first fruits of their dough, the offerings, etc., etc. They're going down. It says, to God to bring the tithes of the land to the Levites. For the Levites should receive the tithes in all our farming communities. And the priests, the descendant of Aaron, shall be with the Levites when the Levites receive the tithes. And the Levites shall bring up a tenth of the tithes to the house of God to the rooms of the storehouse. So here's what would happen. The, the farmers, the community, because they're agricultural society, this is their livelihood, this is everything. Crops come in. All right, this is the first fruits. These are some of the best of what we have. We're going to take it to the house of God, and we're going to give it, and they're receiving it. It's going to be the Levite, and it's going to be the priest. The Levites would take a tenth of what was turned in, a tenth of it, and they would take that to the storehouse, Right? And this is provision for the priests. They're both there. Why? Accountability. Accountability. Again, they had gotten away from these things, and this is why it all had imploded. I understand, guys, why uh, folks have a, have a tainted view of the church and all they want to talk about is money because there's no accountability with some of these guys. Right? That's not so here. Every member sees every month a printout of where every dollar goes. There's accountability in that. All right? I don't see, you know my three G's when you go through my new members class. Some of you haven't been through my new members class. Pastor, don't mess with the three G's. All right? The gold, the girls, or the glory. All right? Just saying. And pray I don't mess with it. That's <laughs> because, you know, it belongs to God. So, the tithe of the tithe. There's accountability. Accountability. We see that there. When it comes to giving, uh, we can do our best for three reasons. Because we have to, but that's that's law. That's not a good reason. We have to. That's law. Because we ought to. Well, that's obligation. That's obligation. Because we want to. That's grace. It goes with what Randall was saying earlier, right? We want to. Big difference. Well, the last thing in the last verse, we're left with this. These people who had pledged and entered into this covenant with God, they were renewed. They said, we will not neglect the house of our God. Now, why was that important? Well, it was important because there was another prophet by the name of Haggai. Real quick, and I know what time it is, guys. I know it's hot. Let's go over to Haggai real quick. Go to Haggai. Um, you say, well, where's Haggai? He's over there in the uh, Minor Prophets. You say, well, where's that Minor Prophets? Well, um, you want to go somewhere around Zephaniah, Zechariah, Malachi? You should hit him somewhere in there. Go to Zechariah and, and uh, well, hang a left. Is that right? Yep. Go to Zechariah and hang a left. Or is that Habakkuk? No, that's that's Haggai. Or is that Habakkuk? No, that's that's Haggai. There he is. See, y'all ain't alone in this. All right. If you got there, great. If you didn't, just sit tight. I'm going to read it for you. Haggai 1. And let's look in verses uh, 
Um, let me look in verse 4. It is time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses. Is it time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses and this temple to lie in ruins? Now, therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. You've sown much and bring in little. You eat, but do not have enough. You drink, but you're not filled with drink. You clothe yourself, but no one is warm. And he who earns wages, earns wages to put into a bag with holes. Thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. What's the point? They knew the contemporary Haggai. They knew because Haggai was in 520 B.C. and, and Nehemiah is around 445 B.C. Four, four, yeah, 445 B.C. And so Haggai, he knew about Zerubbabel. He prophesied about him rebuilding the temple. So these people, no doubt are reflecting back on Haggai. And this is why they have this renewed sense of dedication to the house of God. This stinging rebuke now is probably making sense to them. And they have considered their ways. Well, conclusion. Repentance. And revival leads to renewal. Repentance and revival leads to renewal. What a great picture for us under the new covenant that we find here in this text. Think about what we see here in this text, guys. Because this is an an excellent um, point here, if you'll notice. They committed themselves to God. They committed themselves to His Word. They committed themselves to each other. Right? And there was a list to prove it. What does that sound like? Look at that for a second. They committed themselves to God. They committed themselves to His Word. They committed themselves to each other. And there was a list to prove that. Sounds like a church, doesn't it? They're our example, guys the New Testament, we have a thing called the church. Now, we make up the church. We're the temple. We know these things. But guys, this is a gathering place, and God has asked for us to not forsake the assembling of ourselves together. And so you want to see a good illustration here in this Old Testament text to lay out the importance of what should be happening within the local church? This is a good text. And and so when you see that, you think about this... A voluntary joining of oneself to a visible community of believers because of what God has already done in our lives by His grace. I like that. That's what was happening there, and I I believe that's what's happening here. Amongst God's people. A love of God because He first loved us. A love of God's Word as newborn babes desire the pure milk of the Word that they may grow by thereby. That's what should be happening within a church, right? Within a gathering. And a commitment to accountability. 
They took the oath. Did you know? Member, you took an oath. Guess what's at the very front of this little blue book? It's called the Church Covenant. Here's what you agreed to. Here's what you signed your name to when you became a member. And if you're considering membership, consider what you're saying. Predicate. Having received the Lord Jesus Christ as our Savior and Lord, relying wholly upon His finished work for salvation. Upon a profession of personal faith in Christ Jesus and having been baptized in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Covenant in general. We do now, in the presence of God, the angels in the assembly most solemnly and joyfully enter into covenant with one another. That we will walk together in newness of life with brotherly love to His glory as our common Lord. We therefore, in His strength, particularly engage. The assembly, that we will not forsake the assembling of ourselves together at such times and places as the church may appoint for instruction, prayer, business, or evangelizing, that we will strive to promote the prosperity and spirituality of the church and to sustain its worship, ordinances, discipline, and doctrine. And that when we remove from this place, we will as soon as possible unite with some other church where we can carry out the spirit of this covenant and the principles of God's Word. Mutual care. We, that we will exercise a mutual care as members, one of another, to promote the growth of the whole body in Christian knowledge, holiness, and comfort in all the will of God. That we will remember each other in prayer. That we will aid each other in sickness and distress. That we will frequently exhort, and if occasion require, admonish one another according to Matthew 18, 15 through 17, in the spirit of meekness, considering ourselves, lest we also be tempted. Contributions that we will cheerfully and according to our ability, regularly contribute of our means for the relief of the poor, for the expense of the church, for the maintenance of a faithful gospel ministry among us, and for the spread of the gospel throughout all the world. Alone and at home. That we will not omit private and family devotions. Oh, you didn't know you signed up for that one, did you? We will not omit private and family devotions, nor allow ourselves to permit the too common neglect of the great duty of training our children and others under our care in the nurture and admonition of the Lord with a view to the service of Christ and the enjoyment of heaven before the world, that we will walk circumspectly before the world, that we will refrain from such of its games, amusements, and fashions as are foes to spiritual mindedness, that we will be temperate in all things and cautious, especially being on our guard against the abuse and use of intoxicants and other harmful drugs or substances, that we will be just in our dealings, faithful 
in our engagements and exemplary in our deportment. That we will avoid all tattling, backbiting, and excessive anger in order that we may win souls, remembering that God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. And last, invocation. And the God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus Christ, that great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the everlasting covenant, make us perfect in every good work to do His will, working in us that which is well-pleasing in His sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom glory forever, to, to, to be glory forever and ever. Amen. That's our church covenant. Well, with that, let's pray. Father, we look into the scripture of Nehemiah and we see, as we've seen over the past few weeks as we're going through this book, the example of your people. And today, we as your people, in this time, in this age in which you have raised us up, we recognize our failings, we recognize our shortcomings, and we also recognize, Lord, that we cannot do. It is done. But by your grace, I pray that you will help us to be renewed. And we are renewed when we are repentant in our own life, when we are revived in our own personal walk with you. And so, Lord, will you have your will and way here amongst us today? Help us, we your people at Community Baptist Church, recommit, rededicate, renew our walk with you and our commitment, not only to you, Lord, but to one another as a church in covenant by the blood of Jesus Christ. Lord, do a mighty work in our midst and do a mighty work in us and through us throughout this community for your name's sake. And Lord, I pray for those who are considering membership at community. May you draw them. May you help them to understand the benefit and the blessing of being involved in God's family. And so, Lord, you call us to yourself. We recognize that um, membership in Christ is enough for glory. And for those who know Christ and maybe aren't a member here, they are part of our family. But Lord, you have laid it out in Scripture that if we are followers of Christ, why would we, why would we not want to take such a pledge? Stir our hearts that we might walk in your grace and fulfill your will. In Jesus' name, amen.